6 says the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb the son of Jephunneh and the he's a Kenizzite said to him this is Caleb speaking to Joshua said you know what the Lord said to Moses the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me how I was 40 years old, verse 7 says, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went with me made the heart of people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. You probably remember this story in Numbers chapter 14 where uh, Moses sends out 12 spies, uh, Caleb and Joshua are among them, and all the ten other spies come back with a bad report. They said, yeah, it's a great land, flowing with milk and honey, um, and it is just a beautiful land uh, that God is giving to us. However, said the ten, it's full of giants and fortified cities and they kill visitors. The King James says they devour the land. They devour the people who go there. But it means they kill people. This is not people you want to mess around with. Therefore, we can't go back to Egypt. We can't go forward to Canaan. We're stuck in the wilderness. Oh, woe is us. And Joshua and Caleb, this is in Numbers 14, they stand up and they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God can give us the land. They are, yes, they are giants to us, but they're not giants to God. Right? I would hope that we would have sided with Joshua and Caleb, but maybe we wouldn't. We don't know. Well, Caleb, at that time, Moses said to Caleb and Joshua, you two will go in. These other ten will not. Their families will not. They will perish in the wilderness. But all that generation uh, under 20, plus Joshua and Caleb, they will go into the land. And so this is what Caleb brings up. This is now 40 years later. And uh, chapter 14 Verse 9 says, Moses told me on that day, the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance for you and your children because you wholly followed the Lord. And verse 10 says, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke that word while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now today I am 85 years old, verse 10 says. So that means, uh, when you, if you think about it chronologically, that means they have been, they, they came out of the, uh, Egypt, wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, um, and uh, now Caleb is 85 years old, so he must have been 40 when they came out of Egypt. Then the 40 years in the wilderness, and then five years taking the land of Canaan from chapter 1 to chapter 14. Because he is <clears throat> 85 years old. 
and it says, verse 11, But I am as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. My strength now is like the strength then for war, for coming and going. So give me this mountain on which the Lord spoke on that day. He says, Moses, I'm as ready to fight. I'm as strong now. I'm as good a warrior as I was 40 years ago. Let me at those giants up there on Mount Horeb. So verse 13 says, Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron, which is a southern part of Judah, about 20 miles from Jerusalem, and um, uh, gave it to him for an inheritance. And verse 14 says, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba, or Community of Arba. And Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. He was the giant among the giants. Anakim of the giants. And Arba was the one who established Hebron. So it was a city of giants. So here's a man who's 85 years old. He's standing on the promises. He has God's promise of 40-some years ago. And I, I love it when older people just trust God and are a great example for us younger people. Psalm 92, 13, give me that, uh, look at this great verse. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. Amen. I love that verse. They'll be fresh and flourishing. So Caleb here has an age problem as he faces Hebron. But Caleb is not only... uh, uh, of old age, but he's got a he's got a uh, family issue. Did you notice that it says it twice in this section, verse six? The people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Now, who are the Kenizzites? Are these descendants of someone named Kenny? No. The Kenizzites, uh, pull up that Genesis 15 verse. Look at this verse. This is God promising Abraham 400 years earlier, the land of Canaan. Here's what he says. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. It is the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Amorites and Canaanites and Girgashites and Jebusites and the communists. It's all right there in that verse. (laughs) Caleb was the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite. In other words, Caleb has been given the land of his ancestors. His, His family tree are the people he has to turn against. But he was willing to do it because he believed Israel were the, was the true people of God. 
Now, sometimes, and it is a sad choice, but God has a people. And years before, the, the father of Caleb made the decision to go with this band of Israelites who were penniless and, and without property or fame or fortune. And, he, and they left their ancestors and incorporated into the people of God. In faith, those are the people of God. I'm going to stay with them. And God ends up giving him the land he would have inherited, whereas if he had stayed, he would have lost it all. So he's got this age problem, but there's, there's the background problem, but God through Joshua says, this Hebron, this city on a hill, goes to Caleb the Kenizzite. Now look at verse 13. Here's another issue that will hinder him. Uh, his age, his background, verse 13, Joshua blessed him and gave, him, gave Hebron to Caleb. Um, now, where is Hebron? And give me the map of Hebron. It's about 20 miles from Jerusalem, and it is situated in the mountains of Judah. In fact, the Hebron... It's about 3,000 feet above sea level. It's, some say, the highest city in the land of Israel today, Hebron. It's also called Tirioth, or a community of Arba, because Arba was a giant, and he took that land, and he held that land for generations and turned it over to his three sons. It says in chapter 14, verse uh, 14, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord. And the name of Hebron was formerly, verse 15, Kiriath Arba. Um, so here is this elderly man, not even a pure racial Israelite, going to take a city on a mountain, high on a mountain, protected by giants, and according to verse 12, surrounded by walls. It says, you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified or walled up cities. <laughs> I don't know about you, that sounds like an impossible task. If, if, if Caleb had said, God's going to give me Hebron, and I said, uh, Caleb, isn't that where all the giants are? Yes. And aren't you like retirement age? Yes. And don't they have like these big walls? Yes. I'd be praying for you. I, I just remembered a couple of things I got to do. <laughs> but Caleb tackles the city and took it. And the last phrase of verse 15 says, the land then had rest from war. Hey, let me say a word about these giants. Um, it calls them, uh, in verse 15, calls them Anakim. Uh, Deuteronomy 2.10 says that if you, when you compare something to 
uh, how high or tall it is. It's you're tall as the Anakim. They were these huge men, and I got three quick picks. I just want to put up here for you. This is a skeleton discovered in Bangladesh in 2004. This is a little guy in a white coat. That's a man. Look at the size of that guy. You're in the next one. And then this is Saudi Arabia in 2004. And they have uncovered and discovered this, and they're dusting all of it off. And they're, uh, that, that is a huge man. And then, uh, and by the way, uh, Saudi Arabia, that's not far from the land of Israel. Okay, go to the next one. And then these are axes, and this is on the uh, little, it's a little city called Heracline in the island of Crete, which is in the Mediterranean, also very close to the land of Israel. Look at those, the size of those. That woman, by the way, is eight foot tall, which really makes those axes big. But now you've got to think about this, uh, and maybe I'd say just a word about where these giants came from. Uh, here's the theory that I think should be debunked. The theory is, and this is from Genesis 6-4, if you want to give me that verse, uh, is that the sons of God who were angels departed from God and came and cohabited with people on earth. Um, Give me Genesis 6-4 up here. Uh, Genesis 6-4 says that there were giants in the earth in those days and afterwards when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Now, the theory is that angels uh, had intercourse with the women who were human and produced this race of monstrous giants. There are two big problems with that. One is obvious from this text, and I underline that. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, they bore children to them. The giants were there before the sons of God bore children, right? That's what the text says. Almost any translation will give that to you. The giants in the earth were there afterwards when the sons of God came to the daughters of men. So giants were already there. Uh, I think the sons of God and the daughters of men are just poetic ways of declaring the line that came from Seth, who's, who called on the name of the Lord, through Abraham, through Noah, uh, the, the godly line, and then the daughters of men, just a poetic way of saying those who did not follow God, and that, that the great intermarriage issue took place in Genesis 6. But I said there are two problems with this. Uh, one is that the text does not say it. In fact, it denies it. The second problem is the flood. The flood would have killed off all giants because only Noah and his family were rescued in the flood. So here is my take on this, where these giant skeletons came from. You know how in the beginning um, men lived to be like almost a thousand years old uh, in, in, the, in the book of Genesis? See, when God made man, he was a perfect specimen of humanity. 
He, and even when God's Spirit departed and they sinned and were exiled from the garden, they still lived, Adam lived almost most a thousand years old. Then he died. Well, from then on, they lived less and less. You know how you turn a car off and it'll, the momentum will carry it? By Genesis 6, the age was 120. By Psalm 91, the, the age, or Psalm 90, the age was 70. That's where we are today. Farther you get from the original pristine human condition, sinless humanity, farther you get from that, the less, the, the quicker you die. Now, I think it's also the same way with the giants. I think when God made Adam, I think he was a big guy. And I think that he probably needed an axe like that to tackle a dinosaur. He walked in the earth and intimidated Satan. Satan was so afraid of Adam, he wouldn't even tackle him. He went around and talked and deceived the wife. I think it's possible that the farther you got from the fall, the there was a reduction in age, there was a reduction in muscle, tissue, strength, and size. I think that's possible, even probable, and explains where we get some of these skeletons. Some of these skeletons could go all the way back to Noah's day. So here is Caleb facing this walled-up city with giants, and huge axes. Come on up. We're not going anywhere. Got some people who want you to meet. And here's old Caleb. And it says that he took the city and the land had rest from war. Here is a legacy of faith. Here is a testimony. Here is an example for us to follow that in spite of the unbelief of others, the passing of time, his racial background, the size of the enemy, and the defenses of the city, Caleb was a man who believed God and conquered Horeb, a prime city. How did he do it? Let me give you three things about Caleb that I think will be helpful to us today. One is, uh, he truly believed God's promises. You'll notice that as he puts it in verse 10. Behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years. Just as he said. See, he's trusting what God said. Since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, Caleb believed what God had said. And here's what the spies said. This is in Numbers 13, uh, 33. Those spies said, we saw giants, Numbers 13, verse 29. Then Caleb silenced the people and said, we should go up. But the men who went up with him said, we can't attack them, they're stronger than we. They gave a bad report. He says, all the people that we saw were of great size. We saw the giants. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes. You see the theme there? It's all about what they saw. But with Caleb, it was about what God said. 
And that's the division. And those are the two roads we're going to have to take sooner or later. Are we going to sit in trembling and in fear until we end up in an emotional fetal position because of what we see in the earth and in life and in the world? Or are we going to say, God promised it, I'm standing on those promises, and I'm going to stand on them when I'm 30, when I'm 50, when I'm 70, and when I'm 85, just like Caleb did. Standing on the promises. That's what Caleb decided he would do. He truly believed in the promises of God. Second, he was totally dedicated to following God. You find this three times in the text. Uh, Joshua 14, it says in verse 8, My brothers made the hearts of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord. And then again in verse 9, Moses swore, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden will be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you wholly followed the Lord. And again in verse 14, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb because he wholly followed the Lord. I mean, there was an absolute, total commitment of Caleb's life to God. He held nothing back. There was no disobedience. There was no doubtful issues. In fact, uh, the word uh, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, is the same word used in Joshua 3.15 when it says the Jordan overflowed its banks. Overflowed. Caleb overflowed in his obedience. He didn't just see how close he could get to the world without sinning. He saw how close he could get to God without dying. He wanted to get close. He overflowed his banks, wholly following the Lord. And a third thing is, he reflected God's image to his own children. He believed God's promises, was totally dedicated to God, and reflected God's image to his children. Let me show you this. This is in the next chapter, chapter 15. And there's a, there's a little town not too far from Hebron. that he, He's taken Hebron, city of the giants, killed all the giants. Now there's a little town uh, by the name of Debir. This is in Joshua 15 and verse 15. And it was also called Kiriath-Sefer. Kiriath means community or city, and Sefer means books. Maybe it was a library. Maybe uh, Curiosity Sefer was like, this is the city where the university was. The Canaanites all sent their kids to Curiosity Sefer uh, to learn. It's a city of learning. And Caleb said, I want that city that's not far from Hebron. And I'll tell you what, I'll give the, my daughter in marriage, Aksa, that's my daughter. I'll give her in marriage to whoever will take that city. And this guy says, his name is Othniel, he says, I'll do that for, the, for your daughter's hand in marriage. Othniel goes up. He takes the city, comes back. Oxal's waiting on him. said, let's go see Dad. And here's where we pick it up. Verse 18. When she came to him that is Othniel, she urged him to ask the father for a field. And she got off her donkey, and Caleb 
said to her, what do you want? Now, those of you who have children, you know that rings true. They just show up unannounced. All of a sudden, they're there. How much do you want? (laughs) Caleb knew. What do you want? She's wanting something. Verse 19, she said to him, give me a blessing. Since you gave me the land of the Negev, now that's the southern area from Hebron, give me also springs of water. He had evidently, graciously granted to his daughter some farmland, but she said, I need need some water. It's arid, it's desert, it's very difficult to grow crops. And look at what he does. And he gave her the upper springs and lower springs as well. In other words... Caleb gave his children more than they asked or thought. Amen? Is that the way you want God to do you? uh, Ephesians 3.20, God can give to us more than we ask or think. And that's what he did to his children. They come... your children come to you, Dad, can I have uh, $50? You know what you should do? Son, you can not only have 50 here's 100 That's like Caleb. You say, oh, hey, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, I'll follow that one. All right, that third point, that's not necessarily from God. I just put that up there because it was in the Bible. But So all of my children, keep that in mind. That's a little iffy. All right, I want to give you some final thoughts here. Number one, God always gives us a problem that's too big to solve. This becomes a basis by which our faith is tested and illustrated. See, if you don't have a problem too big for your capacity... And everything is manageable. Then how do people see God in your life? All they see is you. I can handle that. I can handle that. If God only gives you things you can handle, where is the need for prayer? Where is the sense of desperation? Where is the necessity of faith? You need a mountain like Horeb, full of giants, surrounded with a wall city. But God gives us problems too big to solve so that when we cry out to Him and He helps us solve them, it leaves a story and a testimony for the next generation to come. That's one thing. Another thing is we should realize that age should not be considered an issue for us. Caleb was 85 years old. His greatest victories was when he's over 80. Hallelujah. He was standing on the promises at 85. How much more then should we who are under 85 plan a future 
of victory and conquest in the kingdom of God and service to his people. One woman, man came to me this week. Doesn't, he's not a member of our church, but he, he said, man, my wife is always talking about how tired she is. She's tired all the time. She don't want to do nothing. I said, how old is she? She's 72. I said, 72? Have her read about Caleb. If you're 72 years old, you are a young person and you've just begun. Then one other thing. What about our children? Maybe we need to rethink who our heroes are. Who's a hero? Who's the heroes in the book of Joshua? Now, if you ask the Canaanite, they would have said Arba and the people at Hebron. They would, they would have named some Canaanite with an ability to fight. If you would have asked the Philistines in the time of David, they would have said, oh, it's Goliath. But who are the heroes of our world today? And here's a, here's a little bit of trivia for you. See if you can name this person. His father's name was Abdul Jandali. He was a Muslim from Syria. This person gave no money to charity as a decision. He, as a CEO of a large corporation, he stopped all benevolence, intentional stopping of philanthropy. Cheated his co-founder in the beginning of his corporation for financial gain. Was a Buddhist. Once used LSD and said it was among the top two or three events in life. Fathered a child outside of marriage and refused to send any money, which caused the mother and the child to depend on welfare. What is his name? Steve Jobs of Apple Computers. Creator of the iMac, the iPod, the iPad. He recently resigned, but that's one of the reasons that he, he was trumpeted as one of the great innovators. And, and I think he was a genius in technology. But is he a hero? Maybe we should ask his daughter. Maybe we should ask the young lady that he left behind. Who are the heroes of faith in the Bible? And I'll tell you, folks, be careful about following the names and the fame of those that the world promotes and says, what a great man. These are gods. Find that man who for more than a generation has been standing on the promises of God and has left a legacy of faith to his children. 
Maybe that's who our hero should be. Rethink that. That person who's believing God in the face of giants and serving God with zeal when they're 80 years of age, those are my heroes. And I say, God bless them. May God give us more of them and raise them up right here among us.